Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org. Democrat Laura Curran, the first woman elected county executive on Long Island, breaking a glass ceiling and vowing to break with the past. Laura Curran joining us live. It's Cut to the Chase with Laura Curran. Entertaining and informative. Thought-provoking conversations that get right to the point. Observers say her future is bright. You're here to tell us more about it, Laura Curran. Now here's Laura Curran. Good afternoon, everyone. So we just heard Yabansu talking about the top two stories in the news, and that is the migrant crisis here in New York City and the debt ceiling. So today I want to unpack why I feel very empathetic uh, towards Mayor Eric Adams. I feel his pain about the help he is not getting dealing with the issue. And later, Janet is yelling about that debt ceiling. Um, we're going to talk about what the stakes are of defaulting with financial reporter Andrew Cohen. Uh, but I want to frame both of these conversations in kind of a similar way. And it's this politics as performance art versus government as actually managing and operating things. Uh, and I want to tease out for a minute the difference between politics and government. I think everyone knows this intuitively, but I just want to underscore it. So. Very simply, by politics, I mean what you do to get voters to like you and to draw a contrast with your opponents. So it's shaking hands, it's kissing babies, it's listening to people, it's telling them why you're better than the other guy, he was a schmuck. Um, and it's what you basically what you do to get elected and reelected. And by government, I mean actually doing the job. So when you're an executive, like a city mayor or a governor or county executive, as I was, it means actually running the government. Operating and managing your workforce and your resources, uh, kind of like a CEO would run a corporation. And it also means handling the inevitable crises that come your way. Disease, financial downturn, storms, accidents, God forbid, war. Uh, when you're a legislator in government, it basically means voting on stuff, on budgets and policies. So really nothing new there, right? Um, but when I think about what's happening with the migrant crisis in New York City, it's Mayor Adams trying to actually manage this crisis and everyone criticizing and sniping from the sidelines without actually helping. Uh, he has, you know, he has said, uh, the question that the number one question I'm asking everyone now, did you go to Washington to get more money? What have you done for the migrants and where would you like me to house them? Uh, anyway, I was, hoping and thinking that my friend Jason Ortiz would be the perfect person to talk about this. Jason, uh, you may have heard him on my podcast. He's co-founder and CEO of Moonshot Strategies, which is a New York City-based political consulting and government relations firm. And he's also worked with the New York hotel trades. And as we know, many of the migrants are staying in the hotels around the city. So Jason, welcome to the radio show. Oh, my God, Laura, thank you so much for having me back on. I, but before we get into it, I want to say Janet Yellen. I mean, <laughs> Janet is yelling about yelling. that dead ceiling. Yelling. 
She's yelling about the debt ceiling, entertaining and informative, as always. I love the pun. Thanks. Do you know, I actually started this radio show just so I could use that pun. Thank God there's a debt crisis. (laughs) (laughs) Well, no, thank you so much for having me back on. And I, too, have a great deal of empathy and very strong opinions about how the uh, how the mayor has been handling this migrant crisis. So let's get to it. Let's get to it. So he has been criticized from the right, from the left. It seems like from everyone in between uh, mm-hmm. without, you know, I remember back in the fall, he when this was first starting, he wanted to build those tents. I think he actually did build them out in Randall's Island. But right. then the progressive polls were like, oh, no, NIMBY, not in our backyard. And then, you know, now he's trying with the schools. Of course, the the kids and the parents don't want that, which you understand. The hotels, and then you have the pundits taking swipes at that. Uh, He's trying in all these different kinds of places. And he's begging for help from the federal government and really getting nothing from his fellow Democrats. So it's like everywhere he turns, everyone's got an opinion, but nobody's got a solution. So what's your take on this? So I'd like to back up a little bit first. And I think, you know, be good to underscore and provide a little bit of context of where the city was and where the mayor was when this crisis started. Um, you know, the the mayor of New York City took over largely through no fault of his own um, New York City at a time when there was already a huge homelessness crisis. Yes. A huge mental health crisis. Um, and and, um, you know, as was the case all across the state and all across the country, significant crime issues that he had to deal with. So it's not as though this started. And, you know, and and our institutions and the city was in great shape to take in a ton of more people. It was already significantly stressed and taxed. Such a good and point. Then, yeah. And then you add on top of that 60,000 uh, migrants and asylum seekers coming here uh, starting in late August of last year, 40 of 40,000 of whom are, you know, are are being placed in that system in 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 the homelessness system in New York City. Um, it, at a time when the system was already taxed, I think, you know, it was bursting at the seams to start. Mm-hmm. And I think under those circumstances, I would give the mayor extraordinarily high marks with the way that he's dealt with this crisis under those circumstances, really under any circumstances, but especially under those. So why particularly high marks? What do you think he has done that maybe people don't realize? Well, I think that he's been extraordinarily creative to your earlier point um, about how and where to put these people and in processing them. I think, you know, really, and he mentioned this in a recent Times article, I think the fact that since August, um, most New Yorkers, if you were to ask them, would say it wouldn't really have an opinion one way or the over over the migrant crisis. In, in other words, it's happened and people really haven't noticed it hmm. um, until very, very recently. Yeah. And, and you know, I think speaks to the fact that, you know, it's it's what you don't notice. Yes. That, you know, it's what you don't notice that no, that that I think is indicative of you having good of you, of you doing a good job. And I think, you know, this is being a former executive. And I think he would have largely been able to do it and continue doing it in that way, in that form, if it wasn't for the expiration of Title 42, because, you know, as of a couple of weeks ago, it the the influx of migrants to New York City, it significantly slowed to about 700 per week. Since the last week and a half or so, it's doubled. Yeah. So now we're we're back at a place where we're in high crisis mode. And some but, days it's um, up up to seven hundred a day. A day, right? Exactly, seven hundred a day. And you know, and and that number is, in, it, it, you know, in all likelihood will increase significantly. So 
I mean, listen, you know, he's he's I, I think, you know, you pointing the finger at Democrats having no solutions and and saying to him, you know, I you should solve this problem, but I'm not going to give you any resources or bright ideas. I think, you know, an even bigger finger should be pointed at um, Republican governors across the state, you know, across the country, rather, Governor Abbott, Governor DeSantis and others who have very cravenly and cynically said, you know, we're, we're taking these people and rather than accepting them and, and welcoming them with open arms, as the mayor of New York and the governor of New York have done, uh, we're going to try to score cheap political points and cynically put them on buses and send them to states like Florida, send them to, send them to states like New York, rather, and places like Washington, D.C., and say, not only are we not ask for resources, we're going to make this somebody else's problem. But Jason, and- Jason Ortiz of Moonshot Strategies, I want to ask you, because that, that's something a lot of people bring up to me. They say, well, I mean, they don't blame Abbott and other governors in Republican states for sending them because they're saying, hey, you're a sanctuary city. We got to deal with this every day. You think this is so great. Why don't you deal with it? A lot that, that actually that talking point actually gets a lot of sympathy with people and not necessarily all Republican either. Well, listen, I'm going to make a little analogy here for you. So let's say that you were to say to your entire extended family, you're welcome to visit whenever you like. And, you know, I don't know about you, Laura, but I have a huge extended family. I mean, I've got cousins and aunts and uncles. And I mean, it's I don't I don't know that I could name them all or even recognize them or pull, pull them out of a lineup. But I were to extend the invitation, let's say, over Facebook or something like that and say, anyone who wants to visit New York City from wherever the heck you're living, Florida, Puerto Rico, Colorado, California, you're welcome to stay at our apartment whenever you like. And they and by the way, I live in a two bedroom apartment with two other people. And they all show up on the same day. Mm. And, you know, and so, yeah, of course, I love them all dearly and love them to pieces. Even the ones you don't recognize. Even the ones <laughs> I don't recognize. But I would maybe say to them, do you think maybe, you know, this week you'd stay with my Aunt Rose out in East Brunswick, New Jersey? Do, 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 do all of them have to stay here on the exact same? It doesn't mean that you love them any less. Yeah. But but um, I think that, you know, what what Mayor Adams and Governor Hochul are doing are saying, yes, you're welcome to come here. This is a sanctuary city, New York City. But um, what Governor Abbott and Governor DeSantis are doing are saying, you know, we don't want you here at all. And we're going to put you on a bus and send you to somewhere else, because regardless of what the law of the land is, there's somebody else who does want you. And we're all sending we're sending all of them to the same place on the same day. You know, it does seem like Governor Hochul is seeking to help. She um, has allocated a billion dollars. He needs uh, Mayor Adams says he needs about four point five billion dollars. So that's a significant amount. And she said that she's looking at space at CUNY and SUNY campuses to see if any anything makes sense there. So she is actually stepping up with something unlike the others. But I want to unpack something. So a lot of this is, you know, a lot of the migrant crisis is couched in Republican versus Democrat talking points. Uh, mm-hmm. And so you one would expect the Republicans to sort of be attacking and be adversarial on this. But one would not necessarily expect the Democrats. And so it seems to me that Mayor Adams is being criticized and punished for not helping Biden and other Democrats with their politics on this issue. Uh, you know, and Adams has been more and more outspoken about the lack of help and his frustration about that 
from federal officials. Um, he said on Wednesday that it was, quote, baffling that Washington officials are, quote, are not understanding what this is doing to New York City. Um, the president and the White House have failed New York City on this issue. Okay, so he said that. It's kind of like an emperor has no clothes moment, and it's, you know, you don't really hear that from Democrats very much. But mm-hmm. then what happens is he's punished in a, in a very small way, but a significant way. Uh, he is, he's got, he had, he had a little title for the reelection campaign for Biden. And now all of a sudden that title is gone. He doesn't have it anymore. And, and, uh, Biden's spokesperson is saying, well, Mayor Adams should be, be more focused on attacking Republicans than on criticizing us, basically, is what he said. You know, but it's almost right. like he, it's like everyone should just fall in line with the Democratic talking points. And what's lost is, okay, great. But I actually have to deal with this and you're not helping me. No, that's exactly right. And listen, you know, I know that earlier today, the mayor asked to sit down with with President Biden to sort some of this out. So maybe they'll sit down and come to some meeting of the minds on this and stop criticizing each other, which I agree as a good Democrat isn't any good. But, you know, what are you to do if you're the mayor in this in this situation? Yeah, you can't you can't um, like the federal government can um, print money. You can't run some kind of you can't run a deficit. You have to pay all of your bills. You have mm-hmm. to balance the budget. And, you know, if and and in New York City, uh, unlike many other places, there's this guarantee that anybody that comes here, um, you know, have a roof over their head, regardless of their um, regardless of their immigration status. Uh, so, he, you know, he, he's absolutely right to, to say that it's Biden to say that Eric Adams should be blaming and pointing the finger at Governor Abbott and Governor DeSantis, he absolutely should. What they're doing is cynical and it's craven, as I mentioned. Mm-hmm. But but he also needs help from the federal government. There's no I mean, what again, what else is he supposed to do? What uh, under what under, you know, it, under, you know, under what resources? And again, in addition to all the crises that I said he was dealing with before, he's dealing with a fiscal crisis crisis, too, in New York City. Um, you know, the, the tax rolls aren't what they were. We're coming out of COVID. You know, no one's going to work anymore. You know, office buildings are empty in New York City. Yeah. Um, it's not like the city was flushed with cash to begin with. Yeah. And in this instance, I, I would say that throwing money at the problem largely would solve it. So he needs the resources. Do you think there is a reluctance? And we, we have a lot of heavy hitters in Congress from New York as well. Uh, do you think that there is a reluctance for... Powerful Democrats to talk about this issue out loud because it is so politically toxic. It is, you know, it's if you're just looking at the polls, it is not an issue that polls well for Democrats. Do you think that makes them more reluctant to focus on it, at least publicly? Um, I, I'm not so sure about that. I mean, listen, whether or not it's it's popular to talk about it or not, if you live in New York, it's inevitable. You're going to have to deal with it. I think the biggest disadvantage that congressional Democrats have is that they're just not in charge. So you could use the bully pul- pulpit and you could you know, yell and scream and stomp your feet and advocate for resources for the city of New York. But it really doesn't matter much if you don't control, you know, the levers of funding. I mean, really, I, I think, you know, the bully pulpit would certainly help. And I think there have been some Democrats who've made um, a lot of noise and have been constructive in that regard. But really, it comes down to the president. And again, I you know, it's unfortunate that this is all happening and, you know, in what is going to be an election year for us, it's incredibly important, hugely important that we retain control of the White House. 
And, you know, you hate to see Democrats criticizing other Democrats, especially on hot button issues, um, when 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 there's so much at stake, which is why I believe that they'll come to some accord and there'll be a meeting of the minds, hopefully this week, and more resources will flow to New York to deal with this problem. Um, And, you know, and all the infighting and bickering can stop. Right. And there's one thing, there's one aspect that I, I think it's always important to remind people. These people who are coming to America love this country. They see this as a place where they can succeed, where they can be safe. Uh, they've been through, I mean, there's people coming from Mexico, from Central America, from Africa, from Asia, from all over the place, coming through Mexico, coming through that southern border. Everybody has a story. And then coming here is very difficult. And basically, all they want to do is work. These are human beings. They are families. I'm sure if anyone got to know them, got to know these people, they would have a lot more empathy and understanding for these people as people. And I think that is something that gets lost in this story. Yeah. It's not well, just it's I, not just polls and talking points and politics. It's actual people. lives. Yeah. And that is something that I feel, and I don't know Mayor Adams. I met him once. You know him a little better than I do. This is something I feel he really sees. This He sees the humanity in these people, and he really does want to help them sincerely. Well, so so I listen to that. I'd, I'd make two points. First of all, I guess the one silver lining here for, for these people seeking asylum is that they wind up in New York. I mean, can you, can you imagine coming from a war-torn country, um, you know, being persecuted politically or otherwise, and winding up in Texas? I mean, it's like it's like I take one I take one step in Texas and say, please, let me let, let me go back. It's like hell without any of the charm. Yeah, <laughs> I haven't been to Texas, so I can't say I've <laughs> all my exes live in Texas, but I have. Oh, right. Yeah, <laughs> no, but uh, all joking aside, um, I would say that, yeah, I mean, isn't that, though, the immigrant story for as long as this country has been a country. Yeah. You know, immigrants come here looking for a better life. And really, unless you are a Native American, um, and there are a few of them, then yeah. everyone here is everyone here's ancestors or are who are here at presently are, are immigrants or were or, or ancestors of immigrants. And yes, yeah. that is the immigrant that's the quintessential immigrant story. It's you, so you, true. Yeah, you come here uh looking to make a better life for yourself, coming from um, uh, you know, very difficult uh, political circumstances and looking to to make a better life and work hard and looking to make a better life for your family. You know, and- I could hear folks in my audience saying, and I'm getting some calls and I'm going to take some calls later. So thank you for calling people. Uh, they're like, hey, OK, great. Yeah, my pa- my parents came here or my grandparents came here, but they did it the right way. They did it legally. You know, mm-hmm. there's there, that is sort of the the counter argument to that. So so just do it properly is what is well- what we're asking. Well, I mean, I, you know, I'm, I'm not an immigration attorney, but I do believe that the people seeking asylum here are, are doing so legally. Like they're, they're being processed. And, you know, I, I think that's splitting hairs, um, to, to be honest with you, whether you come here legally or whether you come here and you're undocumented, it's the same story one way or the other. So, Jason, and, I, I hate to cut you off, but I don't have a lot of time. Jason Ortiz, I have I have a question that I want to ask you. You have worked with the Hotel Trades Council and a lot of the migrants are staying in hotels. How does that affect the workers in the hotels? Do you have a sense of that? Well, uh, you know, I think that, you know, again, the the strong preference, and Mayor Adams said it, you know, uh, in in recently in an interview in the Times, the strong preference for everyone is that hotels use be used 
um, you know, for tourists, ideally, you know, the people that are coming here and are tourists are going to hotels because they have money to spend. They can pay exorbitant room rates. They're, you know, they're they're putting money into the economy. Mm-hmm. They're, they're spending on restaurants and Broadway shows right. and the like. Um, you know, I think by and large, there's there. I think you know, I think in the neighborhood of 4,500 out of 125,000 rooms right now are being used to house migrants. Um, I, you know, I, I can speak for, um, you know, the members of the Hotel Trades Council. You know, everyone's at the union is is you know eager. You know, I can't speak for the for the members rather. Yeah. But I, I believe that everyone is eager, ready, willing, and able to to do their part here and try to pitch in and you know, and do as best we can under these really terrible circumstances. Yes. And and just, you know, you talked about the number of hotel rooms. Uh, Mayor Adams misspoke. You know, these things happen. We all misspeak sometimes. And he said that half of the rooms are being taken by migrants. And that's, you know, as you just said, is clearly not the case. But that's what he gets criticized for. So it's like it's criticizing him for miscounting the deck chairs on the Titanic. Well, that's not really the <laughs> point. You know, that's not really helpful. Uh, yeah, guys, and spokesperson. Yeah, and I think the, the, the spokesperson then clarified it was forty percent of the available rooms. Right. You know, of, of the rooms that were able. I mean, but whatever. Again, not the, right. It's yeah. Like, it's like, oh, yeah, everyone's such really a smarty pants. Yeah, it's it's really besides the point. The point is, we have to figure out what to do here. And and you know, you said it earlier. It's like I don't want them here. Like, do something with them, but I don't want to deal with it. It's yeah. really good and constructive. Jason Ortiz, co-founder and CEO of Moonshot Strategies. I want to thank you so much for joining us on Cut to the Chase, and I'd love to have you back. And then, Whenever you want me back. All right. All right. I will invite you, and you will come. Up next, Janet is yelling. I can't say that enough. Uh, Will political theater and a game of Macho Man Chicken throw the nation into default for the first time in its history? Or will Biden and McCarthy be able to, one, come up with a deal, and two, sell it to the rabble-rousers of their respective parties. Coming up next on Cut to the Chase after the break.